All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. This is the Teacher Talking Time podcast. You know, there's teachers have a range of concerns about peer interaction. For a lot of teachers, it hasn't been part of their own experience of language learning. And so it's hard for them to understand how to do it in the classroom. For a lot of teachers, using peer learning in the classroom involves a significant change in how you think of yourself as a teacher and what you think of your teacher role. And it involves, as part of that, a significant loss of control. When you set the learners off on their own to do something, they are on their own doing something. And they will approach it in different ways and they will, and some of them will do it really well and some will really struggle. And there's just a certain amount of chaos and loss of control that you have to accept as a teacher during peer learning. And I think a lot of teachers struggle with that. And when they meet resistance from their students as well, well, then I think that makes it harder. We need to build understanding among learners of how important and how helpful peer work can be in the classroom of the opportunities they get from that that they're not getting in other ways. And then for teachers too, we need to help them see, you know, that it, that it will be hard and it will be messy and it will be sometimes loud and it will not always go perfectly to plan. But that's part of the point of peer learning is that the learners are creating something themselves and it won't be what you would have created. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teacher Talking Time podcast brought to you by Learn Your English. To those of you who are new listening to this podcast for the first time, the main aim of our podcast is to really deconstruct language teaching to bridge the gap between research and personal practice. Each episode is dedicated to our vision of education, continuous growth that is accessible, affordable, and appropriate to your context. Andrew. We also have a membership, don't we? We absolutely do. Our Learn Your English Teacher Development Membership, where you can join a community of curious teachers and educators who want to achieve more without having to plan and teach more. Leo, you like to say, teach more mindfully, right? That's right. And that's what we try to do with our membership. We try to provide content, mentoring, courses, and more importantly, a community, a community of practice to help teachers plan less so they can actually have time to develop more. And what we focus on, Andrew, mindful and meaningful teaching, better thinking, continuous learning, developing a healthy mind, purposeful creativity, mental tools for thought, and humanistic education. Andrew, if somebody wants to become a member, what do they have to do? Oh, so simple. Just go to courses.learnyourenglish.net and become a member right there. You'll have access to all of our materials, not only for this month, but for all the months that you missed in the past. If you want more information, check out learnyourenglish.net slash memberships. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Angela from Columbus, Ohio, and you're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. We are thrilled to announce our partnership with Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada, 
for this podcast series on corrective feedback. A big thank you to Dr. Eva Karcheva and her MA class to produce this interview series, which we know will be a fantastic analysis of corrective feedback and its role in language learning and teaching. This series has eight episodes focusing on aspects of corrective feedback. Corrective feedback is a crucial area of second language acquisition, and there has been a lot of research done recently to shed light on the role it plays in student learning. Seven of the interviews in this series were conducted by students in Dr. Karchava's MA class as means of assessment to do two primary things. Number one, to connect researchers to their audience, and number two, to have her students have a greater level of understanding and investment in the research they were reading. That's right, Leo, and we're excited to provide an outlet for this project and to give not only new voices an opportunity to be heard, but to allow for new podcasting experiences for many. If you or your institution is interested in producing a mini-series, either as a means of assessment or otherwise, please reach out to us at info at On today's episode of our Corrective Feedback series, we have Dr. Rebecca Adams joining us. Dr. Rebecca Adams is an associate professor in the Department of English at the University of Memphis in the United States. She's an applied linguist with interests in instructed second language learning. Her research work focuses primarily on peer communication in second language classrooms, peer corrective feedback in peer interaction and learning, second language task complexity in peer interactions, and focus and form. Dr. Adams is also conducting a research study, and the purpose of the research is to primarily help bridge the gap between teachers and researchers, and through that, to better understand your experiences using peer interaction in language teaching. To take part in the study, just click the link in the show notes. Conducting the interview today, we have Marcel Zhang and Leo Liu. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get started. Okay, thank you. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for talking to us, Dr. Adams, because um, me and also Marcel, we're both taking uh, Dr. Eva Kuchawa's lesson on corrective feedback and there's one specific topic that we are very excited about is about the peer corrective feedback. So, uh, and then uh, when, when we were doing uh, like a little bit research on your um, academic background that we find that uh, you, you co-authored uh, co like a book on peer, peer interaction, if I got it right. And so I think uh, that will be a good, um, uh, that will be a good starting point for us, and also, uh, and you you will be a very a professional source, and for us to ask questions on peer corrective feedback. So, before we um get uh, started, could, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your research journey to this peer interaction and also peer corrective feedback? Like, how did you start this research interest? You know, it came from it came from both teaching and from research. So um, like a lot of people in our field, I have background in teaching English as a second language. I did a master's degree in TESOL. Um, and when I was doing that, I was teaching um, in a community program and in other places. And um, along the way in that program, you know, this was, oh gosh, it was a long time ago. But anyway, it was when, um, we, it was a very communicative approach oriented um, TESOL program. And there was a lot of talk about um, 
communication in the classroom and and this sort of idea that kind of permeates communicative language teaching in the 90s, this idea that, um, you know, we can't bring in a native speaker to talk to every learner in the classroom, but that's okay. They can talk to peers. It's not as good, but whatever, it's something, you know, that was kind of the idea of it. Um, and one thing that really stuck with me is multiple times in, um, in readings and in discussions, there was this idea put forth that, um, that it was okay that learners made mistakes when they worked together because they wouldn't learn each other's mistakes, that they would never, anyway, this was what we were told. And, um, and then I went on when I was working on my PhD, I got a job in the summer teaching in an intensive English program. And I had this very bizarre class. It was um, four, five learners, four of them were Saudis. They were all men and they were all middle-aged and I was like 24. And um, they were all adult Saudis and one adult Venezuelan. Um, and they were just such an interesting little group. But um, the, the Saudi speakers had, this expression they used all the time when they were meant to say like, you are right, they would say you are true. And I later worked out that in Arabic, those two words are the same, it's the same word. And so they hadn't disambiguated it in English, which makes sense. But the thing that was kind of funny was that the Venezuelan, after a week or so of class, he was saying it too. And there's no Spanish reason why he would be saying that. Um, he had clearly, in this listening and speaking class, learned a mistake from the others. And that was what really piqued my interest because I just wondered, you know, why, why did we magically think that they would learn only the right things and not the mistakes from each other? Like, what, where did that idea come from? And I got interested along the way. I worked in grad school with um, Dr. Allison Mackey, who um, works on interaction. And um, I got interested in how peers interact with each other and wanting to understand better what the context of peer interaction is and what the potential for learning of peer interaction is. And feedback among learners is a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm glad that you um, mentioned like the peer interaction, especially that uh, it's, it's a very interesting story that the that uh, one of your learners that pick up something from their peers. So because when we are learning, because Marcel and I, when we are learning corrective feedback, we kind of have this portrait, this assumption that it kind of has to come from like the knowledge authority or it's kinda, it, it kind of has to come from like a language teacher or kind of come from a native speakers of the language. So when we first encounter this concept, we are not entirely sure like what that entails. So could you maybe explain a little bit what exactly is peer corrective feedback? And also what are the main advantages, disadvantages compared to the traditional feedback we, we receive from the teachers? So peer feedback, when we say peer interaction, um, we're talking about interactions between language learners. When we say a peer in this case, we don't necessarily mean like an age level peer. We mean of someone who's you know roughly at the same phase of learning a language that you're at. So, um, so peer feedback is any feedback that they provide to each other in the context of, of communication. And um, it can have, you know, in, in terms of like what it looks like, how we see peer interaction occurring, it's right on the surface. It's very similar to teacher feedback. Um, learners use a, a lot of similar feedback corrective moves that we see teachers use. And so they provide implicit and explicit feedback. Um, they sometimes provide feedback using metalinguistic information. So I've had learners say things like, no, that should be past tense um, in my studies. Um, 
they provide feedback. We talk about in feedback studies, we talk about input providing feedback that like gives you the correct answer and output promoting feedback that prompts you to come up with it. They do both, um, although they, they tend to do a little bit more output promoting feedback than input providing. But I have, you know, I've seen learners do the whole spectrum of feedback. Um, in studies that I've done. They give feedback on the same things that teachers give feedback on. They give feedback on the syntax and the morphology, um, on pronunciation, not quite as much, but they do do it. And most often on vocabulary, there's often a big um, emphasis in peer interactions on vocabulary. And so that tends to be the source of the feedback. Um, going to the second part of your question though, I was thinking about this and I, <laughs> I don't necessarily think about peer feedback in terms of advantages and disadvantages. I think of it in terms of differences. Peer interaction is a really different context of communication than interaction with a teacher or a native speaker. And so the feedback that's provided in that context is also different. Um, some of the differences are uh, when teachers give feedback in a classroom to a whole class, they tend to have you know, a structure, a particular structure, a particular um, linguistic item that they're focusing on in their lesson, and they tend to focus their feedback on that. So the feedback from teachers tends to be intensive, um, whereas peers give feedback on anything they notice. So it doesn't tend to have a singular, you know, linguistic focus. And so we say it's extensive rather than intensive. Um, peer feedback is an, and I think like your skepticism that you have about peer feedback, I think a lot of our learners share that, language learners share that skepticism as well. And so they don't necessarily trust peer feedback the way that they trust teacher feedback. So it, in the surface, the, the conversational move can look the same, but the way that the learner perceives it and takes it on board can be quite different. Um, so when we, you know, you guys have known as, you, as you've been looking at feedback this semester with Dr. Karchova, I'm sure you've seen quite a few sequences where the student says something, the teacher gives feedback, mm -hmm. and then the student does something, they respond somehow to that feedback. Um, we don't necessarily see, we can see those types of exchanges in peer feedback, but it often looks quite different. It often, instead of just instantly being accepted the way it is with teacher feedback, it's often treated more as a point of departure sort of a signal that the learners are going to stop um, furthering the discussion of meaning and they're gonna take a moment and talk about the language that they're using in the communication. And so it's often the starting point to pop out and discuss the form. And often the solution that they come up with in the end is not the same as the feedback that was provided in the beginning. It often ends up being a collaborative um, resolution and response as opposed to you know, the response that the student gives to a teacher feedback. And that, um, that very much has to do with the fact that uh, it's not as trusted. The peers don't necessarily trust each other uh, completely the way that they trust the teacher or the native speaker to give them the correct form. But what makes that different, what it makes that interesting then is it allows them to engage in discussing language in ways that they would not do with a teacher or with a native speaker. And it pushes them to bring together their own linguistic knowledge, their, what they've learned before and how it, figure out how it applies in this setting and how they can make connections between the forms that they're using and the meanings they're trying to express. Um, it gives them a chance to do that, that they would not necessarily get if they were working with a teacher who would just give them the answer eventually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear that um, actually, because when, when we were thinking about peer corrective, I mean, especially for the feedback with the corrective intention that kind of surprised uh, us a little bit because 
the first question we had is like, do they really correct each other? I mean, I mean, they do engage in feedback. They do engage in interaction, right? So when we think about, okay, do they like really do that? Like, because when we think about providing corrective feedback, you kind of have to, we, we kind of have this, uh, the, the, uh, the framework that the teacher's power relation and that, so he represents the knowledge or authority. So it kind of makes it makes students more, uh, as you said, like more acceptable to their feedback than their peers. So um, when you when, when you mentioned that they do actually engage such kind of it's it's very interesting to know this. Um, but there and also there's one thing that you mentioned that you um you mentioned that it seems that based on my understanding correct me if i'm wrong is it seems that the the the core point of the peer corrective feedback is for them to correctively working on their knowledge instead of relying on each other's knowledge to correct their linguistic resources i'm not sure if i take it right no, I think that is a key feature of peer feedback that they, you know, when you get feedback from a teacher, you trust it and accept it. When you get feedback from a peer, you, peer, you question it. And that act of questioning is, is quite helpful. That act of questioning pushes learners to analyze their own language use, the language use of their of the person that they're, you know, that they're working with, that they're interacting with, um, and to draw those resources together to try to figure out a solution. They don't always get it right, you know, they don't always come to the right solution. But um, that process of thinking it through helps them to notice, helps them, you know, raises awareness and helps them to notice when the teacher comes by and they can ask then, or when, um, when they hear it, when they hear the form later in the input, it gives them, um, it, it's raised their awareness and made them more ready to learn because they, they're questioning their assumptions. And so it can be really quite valuable. I wonder if it's okay, can I pick back up on something you said um, at the beginning of that, you, about, you know, does this really happen? Do peers really give each other feedback? Yes, and, please. Um, you know, the answer to that is honestly, it very much depends. Um, you can have peers in a classroom working together, really actively providing each other with lots of feedback, and you can have them basically not doing it at all. Mm. Um, and it depends on a number of factors, but, you know, it's, it depends on how comfortable they are with peer interaction. It depends on how comfortable they are with the peer that they're interacting with. Um, so, you know, in Naomi, in Naomi Storch's work, um, looking at interactional patterns, she talks about dominant passive pairs. And when you look at their, their feedback, it looks very much like a teacher sequence. The one student gives feedback and the other says, okay, fine. Because um, they just don't want to argue with the person, you know. Um, but in, in pairs that work collaboratively, then there can be quite a lot of feedback and it can be quite active, really helpful, engaging work that they do. Um, you know, and it's based on their personalities and it's also based on their language proficiencies within the classroom and also based on their perceptions of one another's language proficiency. So um, Watanabe has a really interesting 2008 paper where he looks at peers interacting in the classroom. And in one of them, the learner takes this very passive role in one interaction with a learner of lower proficiency, but she just assumed he knew more than she did. Um, mm. It was just his, her assumption. Um, something about his fluency made her assume that he had higher proficiency. And so she just took a step back and let him do whatever. Um, and so let him you know, lead the conversation 
um, and didn't really engage in the ways that would be helpful. So it has a lot to do with who the learners are in the interaction on the one side, and it has a lot to do then as well as how teachers set up the interactions. Yeah, that that that, that totally makes sense. Um, because I I mean later uh, Marcel might uh, ask you questions, especially on that, like uh, in terms of how teacher create environment or if if that kind of peer interaction just you know it's self initiated. I mean, uh, b before we get to that, I th there's one uh, other thing that I'm very interested in is in terms of the effectiveness of peer corrective feedback. Uh, if I remember, uh, you wrote an article in 2011, which is kind of uh, on the effectiveness of peer corrective feedback on promoting the students' uh, learning. I remember that's on uh, grammatical knowledge. Um, so. I'm, I'm kind of curious in terms of like learners' gains in language knowledge, how effective is peer corrective feedback? So, yeah, in that 2011 study that you're talking about, we didn't find a lot of evidence and we found very limited evidence that the amount of feedback learners provided to each other um, influenced the amount of learning they experienced from the communication. Um, in one of my earlier studies, though, and I think that has to do a lot with how we were measuring learning, because we had picked a specific, um, we had specific, specific instructional target forms, and we were measuring learning on these specific linguistic items. Um, and an earlier study that I did in 2007, instead of measuring learning that way, I looked at whatever corrective feedback they applied. And for each learner, I did an individual test based on the actual feedback they received on vocabulary, on grammar, on um, everything they had gotten in the interactions. And on that one, I showed quite a bit of learning. But they, they, about a week later, they still remembered about 60% of this feedback they'd received. And sometimes these very short episodes, they retained that for quite a while. So I think it has to do with how we think about learning. Um, like I said in the beginning, peer feedback doesn't tend to be intensive. And so if we're expecting it to promote the learning of one specific form, that may not be its strength. Um, but in terms of extensive implicit learning of, you know, of a wide variety of features, then it can be quite effective. Um, so whether peer feedback will be an effective way of correcting language, depends on the instructional goal. Mm -hmm. If your goal is for them to communicate holistically and get some helpful information and feedback primarily on their vocabulary use, then it's great. If your goal is for them to learn, you know, the past perfect, uh, then peer feedback may not be quite as helpful. Mm. Um, so it, it, you know, with everything in teaching, it comes down to what we're trying to do. Um, and I think there's no difference with peer feedback. Um, there is, uh, Masatoshi Sato, and he had a, a series of studies, 2013, 2015 study that looks at training students to provide peer feedback on a specific form. And then in that case, he was able to show that they, that the peer feedback helped them to learn the form. And so it does depend too on how you set it up, but just naturalistically in my research, I've just gone in and had them do communicative activities and seen what they do. Um, and in that case, it wasn't really great for learning a targeted, um, linguistic structure, but it was really good for raising awareness of vocabulary and a range of other things. That's really interesting. If I can jump in here, Leah, if you don't mind, because that's fascinating. And if I'm inferring correctly, I, would you suggest that corrective feedback in this sense tends to develop more proficiency than it does a focus on accuracy? We interviewed Dr. Paula Winkie from Michigan State about a year ago, maybe even more. 
and she you know does lots of research into testing and what you're saying about learning is what a lot what she talked about on that episode about are we you know we can see students proficiency is quote unquote increase and decrease based on test results but does that actually mean that they're increasing or decreasing are we testing what students are actually learning was a question that she left with me that was really interesting i thought um does corrective feedback lead itself more so to proficiency building i think i think of it i guess not so much in those terms as are the type of learning the type of are we learning um an item or are we learning a system if that makes sense so past tense is a system it's a rule that you apply systematically Whereas the vocabulary word is an item or, um, or an irregular past tense form is an item. Um, and those are the kinds of things that learners tend to focus on when they're giving feedback. It tends to be on the vocabulary and it tends to be on isolated bits of usage. And so, like I said, when I tested specifically those items, they learned quite a few of them. Over time, as learners um, learn more and more items, they start to infer rules from those items. And so it does lead to system building. But because they're not getting feedback in, in an intensive way, they would, would with a teacher, we don't maybe see the, the results as quickly. And it's spread out across several different systems, linguistic systems, as opposed to just in one. So, I mean, all of it is proficiency in one way or another. But it's right. a matter of um, the, the type of learning that we're looking at. Perfect. Makes sense. Great. Sorry, Leo, to interrupt. Just had a thought. No, no. <laughs> I, I really like your question, Andrew. I mean, for the, especially when, when, when you talk about the proficiency development, it's like, uh, uh, uh, uh, uh, as um, Dr. Adams mentioned, because the peer corrective feedback is more intense, uh, extensive, sorry, extensive. Uh, so it does not necessarily focus on one thing. So my next question is actually um, not quite about proficiency development in general, but it's more about like learning in general. For example, um, what about learners autonomy? For example, we, because learners provide feedback to each other, so, which means they are both the provider and those and the receivers. So um, has research said anything about like development of their learning autonomy? Well, I think, um, I think the point you're making is a really good one um, because it's very easy as a language learner in a teacher-driven classroom, it's very easy as a language learner to always take a passive role, right? Yep. It's very easy, you know, if we look at classroom discourse between teachers and students, we, we see lots of what we call IRF sequences where the instructor asks something, the student responds, and the instructor gives feedback. And it's this very sort of lockstep communication where the learner is cast into this very specific role in the communication. And when you're cast into a really specific communication role, then that limits the type of conversational moves that you will use. And so, like you're saying, in a peer interaction, teachers provide each other with feedback. And as they do that, they're stepping into teacher roles, even momentarily in the interaction. And they're using language in ways that they don't when they're interacting with teachers. Um, so they're asking more questions and they're probing more and they're giving more instructions, using more directives. And so there's language functions that they're using that they wouldn't necessarily use um, in if they weren't working with peers. And then the other part of that you know, is that without the teacher there, the teacher is kind of um, 
you know, we get very good as language teachers, don't we? We get very good at talking to learners. We get very good at understanding what they're trying to do. And we're so helpful. And we, you know, we just want to fill in the gaps for them and help them out and help them communicate, which is wonderful and warm and welcoming and helps decrease anxiety. But at the same time, we're doing so much for them sometimes that we're not letting them stretch and do things for themselves. And when they work with peers and they don't have kind of that, you know, that teacher, I don't know, it's kind of like a life jacket when you're swimming, right? When you don't have the buoyancy from the teacher propping you up, you've got to struggle harder. And um, learners learn from that. It opens up opportunities for them to co-construct messages, to work, you know, to combine their knowledge and, and work together to explore language, to try things out and make mistakes and keep trying in ways that, you know, a classroom discourse would have moved on by now. Um, and when they don't have the teacher there giving them that feedback, giving them that, um, that evaluation from somebody else, it, it opens up a space for them to self-evaluate. Uh, and that, and as we know, self-evaluation is core to building autonomy in the classroom. Um, and I think too, it pushes them, you know, any sort of holistic interaction pushes learners, holistic communication pushes learners to pull together different types of competency. It pushes them to think of the vocabulary they know and the grammar they know and how to pronounce it and how to say it in a way that um, makes sense to the listener. It pushes them to think about language um, holistically. And that having the experience of doing that, of using language and communicating and carrying out a conversation, it raises learner confidence that they that they can be language users, that they're not just learning the language with a teacher guiding them, but they can be language users. And having those experiences kind of provides them a doorway where they can see how to use language beyond the classroom as well. So I think peer interaction in general is really important for, um, for raising learner comp confidence and creating um, and a self image or what the motivation researchers sometimes call like the future ideal self, the idea of this future self that's going to be able to go out, you know, in France and speak French and go to the cafe and order a coffee and do these things that they want to do with the language. Um, it shows them how they can do that. And so that's, um, it changes the way they think about language learning. And the feedback that they receive from one another spurs that, um, that process as well. It spurs that co-creation process and those opportunities. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, my name is Azat Bostash and I'm from Turkey. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Hey, merhaba arkadaşlar. Ben Azat Bostaş, Türk'üm. Şu anda Teacher Talking Time grubunun hazırlamış olduğu İngilizce Öğreniyorum podcastini dinliyorsunuz. 
I like that you mentioned the the the comment on the language teachers because I used to teach、uh, English back in China as well. That、uh, we I tended to. Babysit, babysit my students. I hate to use them, but yes. So it's great that、uh, you mentioned the the new roles or like the things that we didn't see much in a teacher dominant classroom, where you have the peer corrective feedback, where you have the collaborative learning experience construction. But、uh, I guess the then the next part of the question will be like, what should teachers do, right? Like, what what are the cons? Like what are the what are the cognition and what are the views and what should I do in this context? And I'm gonna pass that part to my peer, Marcel, who is especially interested in that part. Okay,、yeah. Marcel, it's yours. Yeah, thank you, Liu. Yeah, and uh, uh, according to my、uh, own experiences in teach、uh, in teaching and learning and as a student.、Uh, I I feel really reluctant to give give feedback to my peers because I'm not that、uh, confident, or it's、uh, kind of、uh, not appropriate to give、uh, feedback. It's kind of rude if it is not that frequent that peer、uh, correct feedback really happen in the classroom. What do you think from your、uh, experiences or research? There are a range of learners, and there's a range、yes. of experiences. And there are some learners that will just jump right in and correct each other and be perfectly confident and happy doing it. And there are a lot of learners who won't.、Um, and it has to do. There's a lot of factors that、um, that draw into that.、Um, a lot of it is differences in educational cultures. You know, around the world,、um, there are different views of what learning is. And in lots of places, learning is sitting quietly and listening while the teacher tells you things. Yeah. And if you come from a culture that looks at learning in that way, then the whole idea of working with a peer it doesn't make any sense.、Um, it it's just not meaningful.、Um, and so, you know, for learners in in those settings, they need to have. I, I we、uh, Rhonda and Oliver and I in our two thousand nineteen book on、um, teaching through peer interaction, we talk about. You know the need to kind of do a PR push for peer interaction in certain contexts. Like we can't just tell learners, give set learners up, and have them interact and expect them to just do what we say. We need to help them understand why this is helpful to them. We need to explain it to them. I think sometimes with teaching, especially with language teaching, sometimes you know we want them to focus on meaning and not focus. And we want them to kind of like maybe not always know what our instructional intention is.、Um, But there are times when we really need to let them know what the instructional intention is, and we need to be very clear with them why it's beneficial to them.、Um, feedback researchers in education sometimes refer to that as feed up, the、um, the letting learners know why they're doing what they're doing and how it's going to help them. And I think that's really needed for some learners. And then beyond that, you know what you were talking about, like feeling like it's presumptuous or maybe arrogant. To provide feedback to a peer,、um, I think a lot of learners across a range of contexts feel that way. And I feel like if you、um, are the student in the classroom who doesn't feel like you're the very best、um, English learner or the very best Russian learner or whatever, then it can make it even more difficult to to want to provide feedback to one another. So,、um, you know, give, I think again, giving learners permission. To make mistakes and letting them know that peer feedback—it it doesn't mean that you're going to always get it right, but that you're going to be helping each other, and that you're going to、um, uh, you're going to be starting discussions of things that are going to help you. I think helping them understand、um, how it works.、Um, 
Yeah. So when we want our learners to do peer feedback in the classroom, that's a big part of that. It's just the feed up part, the letting them know how important this is and how it can help them. But there's some other things that teachers can do too to help feedback occur in the classroom. Um, what you know, if learners are not used to peer interactions, then you kind of start with that and get them interacting before you start worrying about the feedback part of it. Just get them to talk at first. Um, there are ways that we can structure peer work to promote feedback. So um, uh, when learners are assigned roles in, in an interaction, if someone is giving the role of monitor, where you, your job is to listen and point out when you can help improve the language, then that's, that automatically puts them into a position where, where you've empowered them now to give feedback. And even um, there are some studies of even quite young children uh, in classrooms given that position and just taking on these really adorable, very bossy um, teacher roles and providing feedback to each other. It's really kind of fun to watch. Um, one thing that I found in my own research is having students write changes the way that they give feedback because when they're talking and their words are just disappearing into the ether as soon as they've been said, they're not so worried about things being correct and they will let it go because they don't want to be arrogant and they don't want to be. Um, they don't want to overstep. But when they're writing something together and they're going to hand it in and someone else's eyes are going to see it, um, then they can, many learners will become more concerned about getting things right and more willing to jump in and correct. And of course, the process of writing makes it easier to correct because they've written it down, they've drafted something down and they can look at it together and talk about it, not having to like keep in memory what was said and trying to correct from there. And so it, um, it pushes them to, to care more about correctness and to, um, it helps them have the resources, the cognitive resources available that let them have those discussions about correctness. And as I talked about before, you know, um, Masatoshi Sato and also um, Akiko Fuji and Nicole Ziegler and a couple other researchers have been working on metacognitive training and feedback and peer interactions specifically. And the studies on metacognitive training, teaching learners strategies for giving feedback, um, they've pretty consistently shown that when we teach learners to give feedback, then they'll do it. They do it more often. If we show them what we want them to do, then they'll try to do it. Thank you. Thank you for giving me. Uh, this answers uh, really uh, answered my uh, question. Next question, really. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. And uh, there are some examples to you know to push the students to uh, get into collaborative uh, conversations to. Uh, promote their pr pr proficiency in English. That's very good. And uh, and uh, so, uh, do you think that we should uh, patiently wait for this uh, occurrence of uh, corrective feedback uh, between the students, or should we do something that really train them uh, intentionally? Um, I think it depends on the focus of the activity. So yeah. sometimes you just want them to talk and communicate and work on being fluent. And sometimes we want them to think about the language they're using. And in those cases, then I think there's some good reason to, to show them how you want them to interact. Um, and in, that, in those cases, you know, to explain to them how you want them to interact and to show them, I think modeling is really key yes. if we're trying to um, promote the use of particular interactional moves or feedback strategies. Um, you, don't, you can't just tell learners what to do, you need to show them what to do. Mm -hmm. And so, some studies have had a recording of a model group of learners 
Um, and then they stop along the way. So they watch with the class and stop along the way and point out the different strategies they're using to help each other. And that's effective. But you can also, if you don't want to record videos, you know, a teacher can just as easily uh, do an interaction, an, inter an introductory task with the entire class where the teacher acts as one inter interactor and the class together acts as another interactor. And as the teacher's providing feedback, they can stop and say, look, this is what I did. And I want you guys to do that too. And let them practice that together. And then let them go on to a similar interaction and in small groups or pairs where they get to practice using those strategies. The important thing is really modeling, um, yes. showing both showing and telling and, and not just watching a video, but stopping and discussing it and pointing out the moves, drawing learners attention to the things that you're looking for. Yes, yes. Yeah, modeling is really, yeah, it's a, it's a really good idea. And that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm about to ask is uh, uh, uh, uh, uh, there is any, uh, activities or examples can you give like uh, give uh, like uh, assign them into different role plays and uh, the other uh, modeling uh, activities can you give me uh, give us an example for the, on on that that I'll we can just uh, yeah yeah um, yeah I mean there's there's tons of examples of this one of course yeah. but uh, one of the things that's nice about like a task-based language teaching framework is that yes. you start in a pre-task phase that often is modeling mm -hmm. and so if the learners are going to be doing um if the learners are going to be doing a task where they like a, a narrative task let's say they're writing a story then you might um as a teacher um start with a set of pictures in front of the class. You know that are projected on a screen and work with the learners on organizing them in order and then work with the learners on drafting them and do that as a class, like model the whole activity. And along the way, stop and say, oh, you know, um, the student over here said this, how do we respond to that? If you were working with them, what do you say? You know, and coach them along the way and some of the strategies that you want them yes. to use. Um, so it can be very easy, and then that flows nicely into them doing a similar activity together. Now they both know what they're doing and how to do it, and what you what language moves you want them to use along the way, how to handle the problems that are going to come up. So I think that's um, yeah. Right. I think it's you know I think we model at multiple levels in yes. the classroom. Yes, yes, and uh, yeah, you've mentioned uh, task based language teaching, and uh, uh, we've read uh, we've read some. Uh, studies of uh, of your uh, papers on corrective feedback and uh, it always uh, situated in the uh, context of uh, language teaching uh, uh, uh, the the task based language teaching so we think is there any uh, uh, special relationship between uh, task based language teaching and uh, the peer uh, corrective feedback well, task-based language teaching is founded in principles of holistic experiential learning. The idea that we learn from experience, we learn from doing things. Yes. Um, learning by doing is another way we talk yes. about that. And so in, in these types of frameworks, learners, learning begins when you engage in a holistic experience and then you have a chance to reflect on that experience and analyze that and um, integrate things that you've learned from that into the knowledge systems that you're already building. And then that allows you to engage again in more, um, in another holistic experience and move on. So tasks, the tasks we talk about in task-based language teaching are opportunities for learners to engage in language use holistically. Um, and so I think it's a natural context, task-based language teaching is a natural context for peer feedback because 
learners, it's based on learners having opportunities to experience language use. And then if when they get feedback from their peers, that prompts the reflection and analysis part of that cycle. So it fits nicely into an experiential learning cycle. I feel like they fit together nicely. Peers can give feedback, you know, when they're not doing language tasks. Um, and other people probably research that. <laughs> but my research is my research has focused on task-based language teaching because I feel like it's such a nice model for how we bring the experience of being a language user into the classroom and feedback giving peer feedback is an opportunity for learners to use language in ways they normally don't in the classroom. Yes, it's a very good uh, platform for, for them to perform themselves as, uh, as you know, uh, the roles that taking initiative, right? Uh, as teachers to give other, uh, others uh, feedback, like, uh, like you've uh, stated in uh, the, the role play activity, right? So, uh, there's an, a, another, uh, uh, I don't know, it's a, disa a disadvantage or not. It's uh, like uh, the feedbacks that giving from, uh, uh, from the students are not that focused on the target uh, forms of this, maybe it's uh, objective of this course. So uh, is there any way that we should direct them then into a certain di uh, direction? or just uh, uh, just to go at, at its the flows then? That I feel to me, that is a question yeah. that is still empirically open, yeah. definitely. Um, whether we can through training, um, through leaving learners insights into our instructional objectives, whether we can push them to give feedback mm -hmm. more intensively um, yes. or whether they're gonna continue to naturally do it extensively because that's how they respond. I feel like it may have quite a bit to do with the proficiency level of the learners. Yes. Because at the early stages of learning, you know, at the earlier stages of learning, learning is primarily, language is primarily semantic. Learners are primarily focused on words and getting words out to communicate meaning. And um, I'm pr pronouncing them in, in an acceptable enough way that they can be understood. And so very naturally feedback focuses on um, on the vocabulary and on the pronunciation and in those in earlier stages of language learning. And so it's not, you know, you, you might want them to be focusing on the past tense, but they won't necessarily be able to do it. Um, I know that as a language teacher, when I was starting out as an ESL teacher, I know that when I would try to use communicative activities and when I had a grammar focus, mm -hmm. I honestly felt sometimes like the learners were like purposely trying to thwart me you know, like they were going out of their way <laughs> to avoid using the grammatical form that I had set up for them. But of course, that's not what they were actually doing. They were just trying to communicate in any way that they could. And sometimes, you know, it's very hard to structure an activity where you have to use a certain form a lot. You know, there's almost always another way you can express it that avoids something that's complicated that the learners are, you know, struggling with. And so they would, you know, so you, you could give them an activity that would be a natural context for the past perfect to emerge, but you almost never have to use the past perfect. You can almost always avoid it. Um, and so they did, <laughs> you know, they just very naturally did. Um, I think later on in acquisition when learners are more advanced, we're looking at the more advanced stages of language learning and particularly learners who are focused on um, writing, um, you know, in, in those phases, it's easier to have a grammatical focus 
and let them know what the grammatical focus is and have yes. them work on it. It's also, of course, um, my, my co-author Rhonda Oliver would also say right here that it's also very different with child learners and, and older learners that, mm -hmm. um, you know, the way that children perceive the world and the way that they perceive and use language doesn't really allow for a lot of metalinguistic help. It's not how they yes. learn. And so there's, you know, a certain level of age and a certain level of literacy they need to pass before any of that becomes helpful at all. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. The other question though, I like to raise though, when I think about this is, you know, a lot of times in the research on peer interaction, you see people say, oh, but they only focused on vocabulary. But the fact of the matter is vocabulary is really important. So um, we cannot communicate without vocabulary. So rather than seeing that as a drawback, I just feel like it's a matter of instructional fit. A lot of times learners should be focusing on vocabulary and peer interaction and peer feedback is helpful then. Um, if the instructional focus is to learn a particular grammatical structure, then maybe peer learning is not your best choice for most of that. Uh, yeah, and uh, maybe Leo ha uh, have other questions here. Yes, I, I yeah. do have one additional question, if you don't mind. Because uh, yeah. uh, I, I I was thinking about the the other day we I talked to uh, two other language teachers and uh, mm -hmm. who kind of had the hesitant to adopt peer corrective feedback in their class. It's very interesting to hear things like that. So I I was wondering. Um, have you um, researched or any or heard any language teachers' concerns when they are thinking about using peer correct feedback and how and also how would you address their concerns? That's actually thank you for that. So um, I'm currently working on a project um, with Rhonda Oliver from um, um, from Curtin University in Australia. Uh, we're working on a project together where we're looking at teacher perspectives on peer interaction. Um, and as part of that, we've invited teachers to um, do a survey on their experiences using teacher and peer interaction. And we are doing interviews with teachers and on small observations in classrooms, looking at how peer interaction is used in classrooms, taking teachers' experiences with peer interaction and bringing it back to researchers and helping us understand experiences in the classroom. And so this, I don't have anything published on this right now. It's something that we're working on. Um, Currently, you know, there's teachers have a range of concerns about peer interaction. It's not for a lot of teachers, it hasn't been part of their own experience of language learning. And so it's hard for them to understand how to do it in the classroom. For a lot of teachers, using peer learning in the classroom involves a significant change in how you think of yourself as a teacher and what you think of your teacher role as. Um, and it involves, as part of that, a significant loss of control. When you set the learners off on their own to do something, they are on their own doing something. And um, they will approach it in different ways and they will, and some of them will do it really well and some will really struggle. And there's just a certain amount of chaos and loss of control that you have to accept as a teacher during peer learning. And I think a lot of teachers struggle with that. And when they meet resistance from their students as well, then I think that makes it harder. Um, so this is where, again, like there, there needs to be, we need to build understanding among learners of how important um, and how helpful peer work can be in the classroom or the opportunities they get from that, that they're not getting in other ways. Um, and then for teachers too, we need to help them see um, 
you know, that it, that it will be hard and it will be messy and it will be sometimes yeah. loud and it will not always go perfectly to plan. But that's part of the point of peer learning is that the learners are creating something themselves and it won't be what you would have created. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, because I, for example, me, I came from the teaching background. I came from the education context where um, we kind of value disciplined, very, you know, disciplined teaching and from the teachers. So when, if I talk talk about peer corrective feedback to my old colleagues, they would, you know, roll eyes to me. Like, what if they didn't learn? What what if they just chat, you know, <laughs> like things like that. So that, that definitely invo- involves quite uh, some challenge for class management as well. I, I assume, but I, I mean, that's definitely um, a very interesting thing to think about. And I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that you're currently working on a project on that. And I'm, I will be very, very looking forward to see that when it's published. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's, uh, it's good that you mentioned this at uh, the, the, the class, uh, classroom management, because I, uh, we, we have the chance to talk with another uh, student at Learning English that uh, he really hates the, the, the, the, their, uh, his uh, uh, classmates to talk in, uh, in their first, uh, first language. You know, uh, so, uh, so uh, maybe it's, uh, it can be a problem that in the you know, foreign language context that they may be giving each other, uh, give, give, give each other feedback in the first language. So if that's helping this whole pro- process of le- learning, it's uh, maybe questionable. What do you think? Well, this, I think, you know, I think there's a, another way of looking at that, to be honest. Yeah. So in, in classrooms where learners share a common language, that is always the concern that they're going to just speak their language and not speak um, and not practice um, the language that you're teaching them. Yeah. But on the other side of that coin, when learners share a common language, that enables them to ha- use more linguistic resources when they're when they're doing peer feedback. It allows them to use to bring in L1 resources when they're trying to correct things that they're doing in the second language. And that um, helps them to draw connections between their first and second language. It's an opportunity they have that learners in mixed linguistic settings don't necessarily have um, in their learning. I think um, to, to me, a lot of the we are making peer interactions successful in those settings, you know, and helping learners use their L1 in ways that are helpful and not detracting from language learning um, is thinking carefully about how you're setting up the classroom activities. So if you have, if you have modeled and you've shown learners how to interact, they're more likely to use the second language as much as possible. If you have them writing, they have to use the second language because you can't write a second language essay only using your first language. They have to minimally be talking about the language they're using as they're writing the essay. And so that gets them, and even if they're giving each other feedback in the first language, they're giving each other feedback about the second language in the first language, and they're drawing those connections. You know, if they read a text as part of the activity, the text is in the second language, and it pushes them to collaboratively understand the text. And so um, the, a shared first language is not necessarily an impediment, but it depends, you know, we have to think carefully about our instructional strategies to make it a, a benefit. Using L1 for L2 benefits, right? Yes, this, it can be a very powerful tool, especially in monolingual classrooms, as you suggest. It can, definitely. And, and also, you know, you know, we don't necessarily want the teachers speaking to the students constantly in the L1, but the students using, they can very quickly in an interaction use a bit of the L1 and quickly resolve a miscommunication and move on. It could be a very helpful strategy for them. 
as you say, taking a step back as the teacher. We don't always have to be the center of attention. We don't always have to be in control. We don't always have to be. It's not our class. It's not for us. It's just a chain of mindset switch, right? Um, just before we wrap up here, I want to pull one thing out from the middle of the interview, which I thought was interesting. And you mentioned Masatoshi Sato a few times, and he does. He talks a lot about from the academic side of, of research, and he asks, you know, what's the or he asked when we talked to him, what you know, what's the point of research um, if teachers can't use it or can't implement it in their classrooms? And then that's one of the one of the biggest what we hope aims of our podcast is to to kind of bridge that gap a little bit between what is the research suggesting in certain key areas of of learning and teaching, and then as a result, how can teachers in the you know uh, infinite amount of teaching contexts that exist in the world use some of it if it applies to them in their classrooms. And you've touched a lot on that. We have a lot of listeners who teach uh, low proficiency level students and they constantly ask, okay, this topic's great, but how can I use that in my classroom? I think you've touched on that really well. I just wanted to pull the models um, discussion out just one more time because we're big proponents of using models to teach, whether it's speaking or, or, or written. Do you think, or does the research show that the use of models addresses one of those concerns with peer feedback in that the peers may not i don't know if trust is the right word but but rely on their peer for the the right answer where they're not you know the teacher is for lack of a better term the the the model in the room the the expert quote unquote even though i don't like that word expert but the teacher is or or is perceived perceived to be if there are models that students are following provided by let's say, a teacher, that students are, are holding the, each other accountable to following? Do you think that addresses one, you know, one of those um, per, perceived disadvantages of correct, uh, of peer feedback? I think it does. I think, too, um, for teachers worried about, you know, what will they do? Will they know how to interact? Will they know how to help each other? Will they, will they stay on topic? All of those things. I think um, you know, when I was teaching ESL, the hardest part of teaching was giving instructions. <laughs> I, I would, you yes. know, and I would try to be so clear and I would give instructions and then I would let them go and no one had any idea what they were doing. They'd all look at me blankly and someone would say, what are we doing? You know, and then eventually I would show them a little bit and then they'd be like, oh, okay. And then they'd go off and do it <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> I think that's where like my, my belief in modeling came from because um, it's right. very hard, especially when we're working with, you know, when we're communicating the language that they're learning, you know, when our, the language of instruction is also the thing that you're learning, the target of instruction. That's, um, you know, it's hard to give instructions. Instructions are often the hardest part. I think there's a lot of power in showing people what you want them to do. I think that most learners, most of the time, when you show them what you want them to do, are going to try to do it. Most learners want to be doing the right thing, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing in the classroom. Um, but they're just confused how. And so I think there is a lot of power in showing students what we want. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think we have all our questions answered thank you so much and it, it was you. really really rewarding to hear how peer corrective feedback is framed and also how it is understood and we we learned a lot from this talk and thank you so much for taking time again to talk to us on this amazing topic yes thank you so much and uh, maybe in the future i i will take more attention uh, pay more attention to this topic and uh, to this aspect of this uh, language teaching. 
and maybe uh, to take a training or to uh, give training uh, sessions to students on the on the correct feedback. Thank you so much. It's really helpful. Maybe for every teacher that is listening to this podcast, and they can apply a lot of uh, activities into their classrooms on this topic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.